0: You're listening to the Sunday Podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? Have you great, greeted everybody? Have you said hello? It is such a wonderful day. If this is your first time to LifePoint, I want to welcome you. I'm Pastor Nathan, and I'm glad you chose—yes. Just slow clap them in though. You got to. We're glad you're here. We hope you felt welcome from the time you pulled onto our property to finding your seat. Uh, One of the things that we pride ourselves on here is doing our best to be a family, not just a building of people who come together once a week, but who work and serve in the community, love each other, small groups, life, and like Paladin Sports, just in everything we're doing, giving honor to the Lord. So if you're new here, got a couple announcements, and if you're not new here, a couple of announcements. Family camping trip, right? So this is going to be our, what, fifth year of doing this, and it is an absolute blast. There is a cornhole tournament that will change your life, and we go up to Big Lake, which is about 45 minutes east of Sholo. It is gorgeous. We're going to go in June, what, the end of June here, 25th to the 28th. There's uh, a lake. It's big. It's, what it's called, Big Lake. And we run out two big circular areas, there's a big ramada in the center, there's usually more than 300 children, and about 50 adults, it's fantastic, we, it's like survivor, only real, right? And us parents, but it's great to be with the church family, because you can really let your kids run around, and you don't have to worry about them, and there's adults everywhere, and... Anyway, if you want to get to know people here at LifePoint, the family camping trip is the place to do it. So we invite you to sign up for that. You can do that through our app or meet Blake out in the lobby. He's the handsome man from Tennessee. You'll recognize him once you see him. Second announcement is this. We have a financial planning seminar first week in May, May 1st. And this is basically for you. If you're saying, I've never done a will or a trust and I've never put together sort of the end of life stuff, hey, there you go doesn't matter how old or young you are, it's a free seminar with all the resources and connections you would be able to need to be able to figure that stuff out. It's one of those things we've been hearing a lot about, so we wanted to let you know we've set that up on May 1st. All right, should we get into this? What happens if I say, He is risen? (laughs) Yes, He is risen indeed. That's every year. It's like, we, yep, we know what to do with that one. (laughs) We are so glad you are here. If you were here Friday for the Good Friday service We left that service in a very somber tone, right? We left as we looked at what it looked like from the betrayal of Jesus to his trial, to the scourging, to the carrying of the cross, to being put on the cross, to his uh, final words and death on the cross. And we're here today because he's not still in that grave. And that's why we're here. 2,000 years. Let that sink into your memory. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating this man something had to have happened. Something crazy must have happened for 2,000 years later for there to be this many people still committed enough to wake up early. Oh wait, early is my sunrise service notes. <laughs> to wake up and come to church. We did sunrise service out at the lawn at 6 30 and I felt so proud of myself, right? You're out there, the sun's just barely coming up. But on Saturday I saw that my good buddy Mark, who's pastor of Christ the Victor Lutheran Church, their sunrise service was at 5.40 a.m. It's the Lutheran for you, right? Always just a little bit better. I love Mark. I love them. It's wonderful to come together. It's wonderful that over all this time, no matter how many times the church has tried to be been snuffed out by governments and kings and people who were threatened by what the message of Christ is, which is to love your neighbor as you love yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, that somehow that message is so threatening that millions have died for it. And yet here we are, still worshiping, still praising. I want to talk about the hope that comes through Christ this morning. If you're here this morning and you have not given your life to Christ, you're in that place where you're like, I just haven't made that step, that commitment. Maybe you're here this morning and you were hurt by a man or a woman who was a Christian, right? And they just betrayed your trust and completely destroyed it. And you are only here out of respect and kindness for whoever drug you here this morning. This morning's message is for you the hope of a resurrected savior what does that mean why is it we're still here how is it possible that it's made it through all the other religions and beliefs and mythologies how is it christ and that message seems to stand so firm how is it spread to every single continent in the world how is it no longer the most centralized belief in the place it started whereas every other religion the place it started is still to this day the place where it's the most central belief how Jesus brings a hope that no other teaching brings. John 20, 11 through 14. This is the Apostle John writing his account of Jesus. It's the gospel of John or the good news of John. Verse 11 says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him at this. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Can you blame her? She was one of the ones at the foot of the cross who just watched what happened to him, who saw a human body so disfigured, so beaten, so bloody that there is no possible way that this person completely healed, completely alive could be my Jesus standing in front of me. What it also shows us is that when we are in the midst of despair and grief and sadness is we will miss the hope of God if we aren't looking for it. When you are not looking for God, when you are not looking for what he is doing in a situation, it will always feel hopeless. And this can be a situation in your life as far as money, as far as health, right? a job, whatever's going on, and and if we aren't saying, Lord, where are you in this and how can I glorify you in this? Help me see the hope that is Jesus, then we will miss him, even if he's right in front of us or right behind us. How is that possible? It's because we're focused on the wrong thing. So there's a study, I actually saw one of uh, my friends post this. It's the one good thing social media has done this year. And I looked into it and I thought, that's an interesting story. I I never tell stories from the stage unless I research it. This one is actually true, so I went out and researched it. There is a man named Dr. Kurt Richter. He did an infamous study in 1957 where he took rats, have you seen this? Put them in jars of water and saw how long it took them to drown. If you're here from PETA, know that I do not condone this part of the story. It's just what happened. It was the 50s. Anything went. So just push past that part. So what he found is that if he took wild rats and put them in a jar of water, they would drown in 15 minutes. If he then took those same rats and pulled them out before they drowned and then put them back in and pulled them out and then put them back in, you know how long they could last? 60 hours. 60 hours of rat swimming. Just... I don't know what that looks like. This is how I pictured it, though, the whole time I was reading it. 60 hours. They would drown in 15 minutes unless they were taken out. You know why? They had hope. All of a sudden, hope was put in their life. And so this was the study. They then took domesticated rats that had been grown up with adult interaction and everything else, and they put them in the first time 60, 60 hours. They could swim for 60 hours because they knew somebody will take me out. It always They always do. They always pick me up, they always help me. Fifteen minutes is how long it took a wild animal to lose hope and give up. Is there any wonder why we see so much darkness in the world when we have a world of people who are told Jesus Christ is not real? There is no hope, there is no life after death, there is no eternity, there is no meaning to your life. You are a collection of atoms and neurons and material and matter. Do what you will, get as much pleasure out of this life and move on into whatever you want to believe, but there's really no hope. Is there any wonder why suicide rates amongst youth are highest they've ever, ever been? And in the last two years, we've seen them quadruple. If a rat can only last 15 minutes in a desperate situation without the hope of someone to pull them out, how much more dire is it for a person who is thinking and made in the image of their God to continue on in life when life rains down upon us and we have no hope. So here's Mary. She's been with Christ. She's walked with Christ. She's been a part of the ministry for years. And here she comes to the grave to pay honor that has lost all hope. We know the disciples have lost hope, right? Right? Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. The disciples have definitely lost hope. So she looks into where he is. She sees these two angels, these angelic beings. That still doesn't get her to uh, wake up and see what's going on. And then there's this man behind her. And this is what he says, John 20:15 through 18. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? See, there's no way Jesus asks that unless he's a little bit, you know, funny. Like he's got to have a sense of humor. Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus, what did Jesus do? Mary. He said her name. This verse has been so important to me in my life. All through the Bible, you see God call people by their nation, by their background, by their creed, by the religion. Here he calls her name. She's an individual, she's a person. He called her name when he drew her out, right? When the, seven, when the spirits were upon her, he called her name, the name that he knew she was, not the name she was being called at the time. And she came to her Lord. And here again, he calls her name. He says, Mary. She turned to him and she cries out in Aramaic, "Rabbanai," which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord and she told them all the things that he said to her and the disciples danced and they jumped up and down and they all ran out to the tomb to meet Jesus and it was this amazing moment. Is any of that true, that last part? No, How did Jesus find them? It tells us later in John. Locked in the house. The door was locked. Whatever that looked like back then, I'm sure it wasn't like a masked deadbolt or something. Probably just a beam of wood. But the door was locked and they were hiding. So they get told this by Mary. Jesus shows up and he has to just, however he, you know, into the room even though the door was locked. It's a pretty sweet trick. How? Because they weren't looking for the hope. Their hope had been dashed. Their hope in the Savior, they, they were questioning every life decision they had made at this moment as they are now wanted fugitives of Rome, as they are wanted fugitives of the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Pharisees who are there for perpetrating and being a part of what they believed this giant ruse from this Jesus to be. And that's just it, though. We can have hope in this season, and sometimes hope in our lives comes through some of the smallest situations. Often it's just a simple conversation with a friend, am I right? How many times have you been down in the dumps and a friend calls or even just texts you and it just fills you up? This is why church is so important, right? As wonderful as online is and has been, this is why church is so important because you show up and there is some random person there and you bump into them and they talk to you or they encourage you and you're like, I was really struggling but that means so much to me. Sometimes it's sparked by an answered prayer. You've been praying and it's been a while and you start to give up hope and then that prayer you've been asking the Lord for comes through. And a renewed hope is there. It can be an unexpected text, email. It could become noticing the beauty of a sunrise, like what we saw this morning. It can be found in taking time to be grateful by what we have rather than frustrated by the things you're missing out on. Hope isn't hard to find, but hope can be hard to grab onto someone who is lost and in despair, and as somebody who has struggled with depression anxiety, I can tell you, hope can be all around you. I can have everything good going on in my life, and my children are wonderful, beautiful little beings, and they're awesome, and my wife is awesome, and even in the midst of all this hope, I can struggle with despair if that's where my mind is. And sometimes it feels like you can't get out of it. This is why community is so so important friends I can tell you that in my times of greatest despair over the last decade of my life it has always come through the community of believers my wife other people or that God has put in my life who have pulled me up out of those moments do not even if you're an introvert God bless you introverts right do not discount the importance and the quality of community It is how Jesus intended us to live, not alone, not separate, not a rock, not an island. (laughs) He called us to live in this community. And so you feel this shift in the story, right? As Mary Magdalene recognizes Jesus is alive, her hope has been resurrected. She comes back to life. The dream is back. The restoration and the healing is back. This is really happening. I wonder what would happen today if we were to see Jesus all around us in the instances, in the frustrations of life, in the small things, in the continual traffic along Hunt Highway and Ironwood? What if Jesus was right there in that long line of traffic and, and, and as you have been cursing the person in front of you, Jesus is like, I gave you an extra 10 minutes to talk to me. You said you were lonely, you said you were angry. Here you go. Well, God, I can't talk to you now. I just cursed out the guy in front of me. I feel embarrassed and ashamed. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus was a victory over death but not just a physical death friends it is victory over a spiritual death it says we were born dead in our trespasses we were born in a place that we could not climb out we could not overcome we could not become good enough and Jesus the one whom the world looks upon in disdain the one whom the world looks upon and says it's just another false belief to help people get through this miserable life. He gave everything that we would be able to overcome spiritual death, that we could be made alive, that the hope of who he is could be found in anyone who, what, is good, who goes to church, who does what is right? No. He gave it to any who would call upon his name and believe that he is the Son of God. I want to show you John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus makes this audacious claim. He says, as Jesus is speaking to Mary and Martha, right, as Lazarus is dead. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks them, do you believe this? Jesus, if only you had been here. You, you knew Lazarus was sick and now he's dead. If only you had been here. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And what do they say? Yes, we believe. And we get an incredible resurrection, not too dissimilar to what we see Jesus do on his own accord, just a little while later. And so as he calls himself the resurrection and the life, I want to close here this morning by reading to you Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Revelation is such a fascinating book as it's written by the Apostle John, the very one that we just read, these previous verses on the account of Jesus' life. This is written later. This is him on the island Patmos. It was said that he was tarred and... Uh, with pine tar and pitched off and cast away to this island to die. He does not die. He's the only disciple that is not martyred on behalf of the name of Jesus, which, by the way, is something else that every time I allow doubt to creep into my mind about all of this, and yes, I know, on account of possibly being struck by lightning, do I ever have doubt? Of course. Doubt comes in. The enemy whispers, none of this is real. You know that, right? You're doing all of this just to make a paycheck, right? You realize... All you're doing is running a charity organization. Do you think those thoughts ever come into your head? They come into my head all the time. And I rebuke them. But in my weakness, there are thoughts where you're like, oh... I mean, I've been praying to Jesus and nothing's come through. So one of the things that always gets me to that place of saying, oh God, forgive me, what have I allowed to come into my head? What thoughts have I not taken captive? Is when I realized that these teenage men, Peter, Paul, Thomas, right? All of them, these bonehead men who ran and dispersed when Jesus was taken to the cross, all of a sudden had the guts and the courage and the boldness to go tell the entire world about him. And then die doing it. And so John gets this revelation while he's on the island. And he writes the revelation down. And this is where we get the book. And in Revelation 21, 1 through 7, this is what he says about this new hope. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is an incredible saying, friends. This is an unbelievable thought that... God Almighty, the one who we, in the Old Testament, they can't even look upon, will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a powerful thing. Now, here's what's crazy. We read those words. Do those words give you an overwhelming amount of hope to go and face this week? Right? Now, either we're just a really polite group of people here in Santan Valley, or we're like, yeah, yeah, I could take some home from there. You know who John was writing this to? The churches. He is writing revelation to the churches of his time who are undergoing some of the most unbelievable persecution the church has ever seen. He's writing to people who are experiencing death and pain. Currently, under the first century, the Roman Emperor Domitian, who was the first one to begin widespread, large-scale persecution of Christians, he would have their homes taken away and plundered, the women would be brutalized, and the men would be murdered, the Christians would then be taken into the arena, the Colosseum, right, torn to pieces by wild animals while the people cheered. Christians would be impelled on stakes and while still alive, covered with tar and lit on fire, they would be crucified, sometimes by the hundreds or thousands, and then lined along the road into Rome, so as to let anyone coming or going know, this is not something you give your oath or devotion to, this Jesus. This is what they were facing. see... When you understand Revelation in light of that, and it's not just some book to tell us how God's going to carry us all up away when things get bad, because that's what Revelation has been turned into, right? Well, when do we get to get out of here? Are we in the midst of the millennial reign right now? Because I'm scared. I want to go away. No! This is literally encouragement to people who are under more persecution than anything we think is coming, to encourage them to do what? To hold fast, to stay strong to remind them that the God of the universe came and met them through the person Jesus Christ and that he is coming back again, that it is finished. And so he wrote it so they could face it so they could have hope in the midst of their desperate situation. And we know from the history that Christians face this with such poise and peace. In fact, They sang hymns when in the Colosseum being torn apart by wild animals. They sang hymns. They did not rebel. They did not start a war. They did not riot. Now, did some do this later on? Yes. Did they do it in the name of the Lord? Yes. Was the Lord behind it? No. You know what the Lord's behind. It's all right here. But the early Christians did none of that. They forgave the people who were killing them. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said something like this, the blood of the martyrs is like a seed because the more they killed us, the more our movement grew. Hope is a very powerful thing. And that's the thing about Christianity. It was was built on loving your neighbor. It was built on inviting people into community and relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to close with this illustration and invite the band out here. I don't know what you do for a living, but does anybody have a job where you just feel like it's repetitive? Right? Same thing. Put the widget on the gadget and then the gadget ties to the... And then you do it again and again. Anybody have one of those? If you were told that at the end of each year for doing your repetitive job, you would make $10,000... How excited would you be? I'm talking a whole $10,000, no taxes. You're going to do it 10 hours a day, seven days a week, but at the end of the year, I'm going to write you a check for $10,000 because I'm just that kind of guy. Now, next to you is another man or woman who has the same exact job. They put the gidget with the gadget and the widget on top of the widget, and then they send it up. And I tell that person they are going to get ten million dollars. Million dollars at the end of the year. Sinners. (laughs) Both the people have the same exact job, same exact everything, and yet this ten million dollar guy, he comes to work just (laughs) He's just doing it, he's playing music, he's so happy. Why? One has hope. One has hope for what the future holds. One is looking forward that, yes, although right now things are not exactly how I'd like them to be, I understand there is a hope waiting for me. And for us as Christians, what we have is so much more than a promise of money, which if the last year has taught you anything, can lose its value like that. We have hope in something that is 2,000 years strong and going, and the value has not been lost. In fact, no matter where you're at in the world right now, the hope of the Lord will carry you through if you don't miss it. I encourage you this morning, I implore of you this morning, whether you're a believer in Christ or you have yet to make that statement of faith, that this morning you would come before the Lord and say, God, help me to stop missing who you are. I need that hope. I've been struggling with life. I've been struggling with things that have happened and feeling unheard by the Lord. I need you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and we'll spend time in communion here. Father, we celebrate this day as the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we do not suffer the way our brothers and sisters once suffered. But Lord, there is a suffering of opulence, there is a suffering of wealth that occurs. When every need you have is taken care of and when everything that you could want is at your fingertips, we begin to feel we don't need you anymore. And Lord, that is currently how we are falling away. I pray for those in this room this morning who would seek you and would be called to know you and be drawn to you. I pray for those in here who desperately need the hope of a resurrected Jesus. I pray for those who have had thoughts of hanging it all up over the last week or two, and yet they're here this morning, God, because you've upheld them and you love them, and you're speaking to them right now. Lord Jesus, would you move mightily in this place this morning? Communion is a chance for men and women who have given their life to Jesus to follow what he called his disciples to do in the night that he was betrayed. It's one of the few actual sacraments that we have as Christians. And so if you didn't have a chance, we have the communion cups, which have the bread on top of the juice there. You can grab those. One of the things we talked about Friday night was the significance when we come together and we take this, <laughs> this wafer, and in a similar fashion as Jesus broke bread and gave it to his disciples, he told them, this is my body, a meaning which hadn't fully come into effect for the disciples yet because he had not breathed his last breath on that cross yet when it tells us that when he breathed his last that the veil in the temple that separated the holy of holies where the presence of God resided from the rest of it that it tore in two meaning we now had access we had direct access we no longer needed a man or a priest or an animal sacrificed we could come directly to God all you have to do is ask come before him talk to him And it's because of the body of Christ. And so he took bread, he broke it. And it says he blessed it. So Jesus, we bless this now as we remember your body. That it is your body that gives us this access to the Father. This access to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. In a similar fashion he took the cup and he said this is my blood it is the blood of a new covenant between God and man no longer will man have to sacrifice an animal or spill the blood of an animal you see every covenant made in the Old Testament between God and man there is shedding of blood Jesus is saying it will be my blood that is shed for the final time and this new covenant is for the salvation of all men and women, Jew and gentile alike, that all we do is look upon him, believe, repent, and turn to him, run after Jesus, friends. And then it says he blessed it, Father, I'll never fully understand this side of heaven what this means, but I do understand that the blood of Jesus was given that we might be in relationship, that I might be in right relationship with you. So as we're gathered here together, I drink this now as I remember that, and I thank you in Jesus' name.